0: Hey guys, welcome back to the show. In today's episode, we're going to lay out 25 rules of the wealthy. And some of these rules are going to be repetitive, but hopefully by the end of this podcast, the goal is to kind of get your mindset thinking about difference between how the wealthy remember wealth is is time added to money it's not just money the difference between how the wealthy thinks and the difference between how the the poor or how the rich thinks because well if you're anyone like me you plan on making that transition and unfortunately if you don't have a uh, kind of a, a proper foundation of financial education that transition could be a little bit difficult because you're going into an unknown territory we hear all these stories about professional athletes, you know, making all this money and and, then ending up broke. And the initial reaction is like, well, how can they do that? How can you ever go broke if you have millions and millions of dollars? If I had millions of dollars or, you know, lottery winners as well, if I had millions of dollars, I would never go broke. And I can tell you from personal experience, it's much easier said than done, because when you go directly from having nothing to having a lot of something, you kind of miss the middle ground where a lot of those important lessons are learned, especially if something was Given to you, right? Not saying that it's given to professional athletes, but you get what I'm saying. You're not really working your way up, kind of a a financial ladder. You kind of go from the bottom to the top real quick, as a, a great artist once said. So let's um let's go through these things. Uh, I'm gonna try to be as brief as possible, and some of them overlap. I don't want this to be a a million hour podcast. But the first one is gonna be pay yourself first. And pay yourself first is kind of like a time and tested kind of plan that you should use in your personal finance. And and when I look at pay yourself first, it's pay yourself first in a few different ways. Uh, One, it's pay yourself first in rewarding yourself. So when you get your paycheck, when you get your money, whatever it may be, reward yourself, right? If you want to take your wife out or your husband out for a date or the kids to an amusement park, right? Do that. If you have a certain thing you want to buy, right, a sporting event you want to go to, do it, right? There's no need, if you have the funds, obviously, to suppress those urges, right? The more we suppress those urges, they're just going to come out in a bigger way later. I always like using the reference of like a diet, right? It's really hard to cut all your sugar out right away. What typically happens is people will cut their sugar out, they'll last like a week, and then they'll have this relapse and they'll just eat everything, right? Money is the same way. If you take away your need for happiness, and you don't, you know, you know, you don't reward yourself for a job well done, eventually you're going to get to the point where all this frustration is built up, and you're going to wind up spending your money on something ridiculous because you 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 it, you have to explode, right? For the the trader reference, it's kind of like a a wedge pattern, or any type of breakout, right? Contraction leads to expansion. You push that spring in hard, and eventually, boom, it has to go. So. Do yourself a favor pay yourself first within your means doesn't have to be anything big but kind of scratch that itch another part of paying yourself first as well is paying yourself as far as like your investments right so if you set up your your account where it's like hey i my income comes in, a certain amount goes to me, a certain amount goes to emergency, a certain amount goes to savings, right? Make sure you pay some of those investments first where, hey, I'm either starting a saving account so I can invest in something later, or I'm putting it directly into the market. If you do it right away, right, instead of kind of saving it, even if it's a small amount, you put it directly into the market or whatever you're investing in, it's kind of one of those out of sight, out of mind type of things where if you leave it in your account and you're like, ah, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna invest it three months from now, right? What happens is, especially if you're suppressing those needs to kind of do things you desire, you start seeing that lump sum of money pile up bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you start kind of, you know, taking from it a little bit. Um, and, and that's the, the very beginning stages of sabotaging your plan. And it can go a lot worse from that. Number two is leveraging other people's time and money, right? If you listen to Any of the Trading Coach podcast episodes, even the most recent ones, we talk a lot about automation and delegation, right? Automation and delegation on my path to becoming more productive and efficient, right? Automation and delegation are either kind of building stuff that will do your task for you or hiring people that will do your task for you. Either way, it is saving you time. Money is the same way, right? Although, and and this was a battle I had, I'm very stubborn, I don't like taking on debt because it took me a while to get out of debt. Um, So I always want to do stuff using my own money. But understand when you allow yourself to use other people's money, you can do a lot more, a lot quicker. You got to be smart about it, obviously. But you can use other people's money on top of your money or or just a handful of other people's money to get the places that you couldn't get on your own. And that can kind of just boost you on that path to success. Number three. Always have multiple streams of, of income. This is the, the funny one, right? Because this is a kind of a staple in, in developing wealth, right? Wealth building is having multiple streams of income. That way you can literally do nothing and, and still get paid. What's funny is, right, when you, especially in the trading industry, when you you, you, you hear that people are coaches and, and, and traders and, and the first thing like the trolls will say, well, if you're really good at trading a keel, then you wouldn't need to coach, right? You'd be coaching for free. And the truth is, yeah, I, I love coaching. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a, a passion. I think coaching is one of the things that kept me in trading for so long because trading can get monotonous and boring and, and having exposure to other humans and, and having a, you know the, the feeling like I'm, I'm serving a purpose versus when I was managing money and I just felt like a dirty scumbag. Um, <laughs> just me personally and, and my values. Um, coaching has helped me, it's helped renew my love and my passion for what I'm doing uh, every single day. Uh, coaching also takes up a lot of my time. It also takes up a lot of my energy, right? So it's right that I I, I pay for it. It, it. it is a business or I get paid for it. It is a business. I am providing a service, a pretty damn good service, by the way, but I'm providing service. It is like any other business. I should get paid, right? We're, we're not doing charitable work here in the trading industry. We, we save the charitable work for other stuff. But The point is coaching is another stream of income if you can do something that's trading related if you can trade and have that be one stream of income if you can coach and have that be another stream of income if you're you know do a signal service that's another stream of income if you teach people how to edit youtube videos that's a another stream of income i'm trying to think of all the different things if you do one-on-one mentorship you write a book i don't know there's many different ways but take your your core skill whatever that is and see how many ways you can build around that. And that way you get multiple streams of income and that's going to help progress you massively on your path to financial freedom. Next, and this kind of goes right off the last one, never rely solely on earned income, right? So, you know, safety is why we have multiple streams of income, right? If COVID taught us anything, we, we never know when you could be laid off. You never know when something bad could happen and your industry can, Boom, be gone. So having multiple streams of income is kind of like a safety net. If you have one earned income, it's kind of like one, um, what's it called? I'm not good for like programming and stuff like that. But I remember I was watching a bunch of things on NASA with um, the web telescope where there were like a million failure points where it's like this one piece had 324 failure points on it, which means that if one of those things went wrong, it would mess up everything else, right? Imagine one or one income as having one failure point. If you have one failure point, boom, you're done if you have multiple streams right maybe you can still you can you still operate maybe not at the same level right so it's a little bit different than a telescope that's going in the space but you can operate maybe not at the same level but you can still get by and, and getting by will buy you time to kind of replace that other source that was taken away. So I don't think it's a good idea to have one one way of earning income and investing is another way of earning income as well. so it's not like you have to start another business. being an investor collecting dividends, whatever it may be is a way of earning income. Fifth, number 5, understand the power of compound returns. This is a big one. I would suggest if you do not understand the power of compound returns, and a lot of you guys don't because you're you're, you know, you talk to me about you're getting into trading and you're new and like, you know, you got this like $100 account and you're like, "Man, I did all this trading a and I only made $10." I'm like, "Man, that's a 10% return. That is awesome." You're like, "What do you mean it's awesome?" It's 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 $10. I'm like, "Yeah, but think about it. It's 10% and 10% now doesn't feel like much from a monetary perspective, but think about what consistently producing 10% will do over, ta- over time as that $100 turns into $110 and then that turns into $150 and $200 and, you know, write it down on a piece of paper, go into an Excel spreadsheet or, or Google search a calculator. And I, w- I would challenge you to enter your starting amount. I would challenge you to enter your average monthly or annual return, however you want to do it. And then I would challenge you to kind of look at those numbers grow during the year. It's gonna be a nice little J curve where it starts off, maybe not a J curve, but a a kind of an exponential growth type of thing. It starts off very, very small, very, very small, very, very small. And then there's gonna be a point in time, it's usually around like two years or five years where boom, it takes off. And the cool thing about that is that you're not doing anything different. You're doing the same exact thing. Your money has just finally hit that level where boom, it can take off like a rocket ship. Number six. Prioritize financial education, right? you need to be financially educated, right? You don't need to be a a genius. You don't need to go to Wall Street or anything like that, but you need to understand how money works, right? The better you understand how money works, the more informed decisions you can make, whether it comes to your personal finance, your personal investments, your taxes, how you're saving, right? Basically, if you understand how money works, money has a, a little bit of a greater value to you than it did before. And when you value something, you pay attention to it a little bit more, you care about it a little bit more, and you're less likely to make the dumb mistakes that you may have made if you just didn't know any better. Um, Seven, lifestyle or avoid lifestyle inflation. This is a tough one. This is one that I personally struggled with, right? I spoke earlier about professional athletes or people going from not a lot of money to a lot of money in a really quick time. And one of the reasons they get into trouble is because of that lifestyle inflation. If you went from eating ramen noodles and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for a elongated period of time like I did when I was learning how to trade and I was a, a broke, poor, out-of-college, no-job-having kid. Um, you go from that to suddenly having a, a, a good amount of income. You have this need to upgrade, right? Why would you keep eating ramen? Like Now you can go out You can go to restaurants. You can go to bars. Remember, one of the things that I would get in trouble is I would go to bars and I would, you know, I just all my friends. Hey, you know what? Rounds on me, right? Tab, use my tab. Whatever you're getting for the night, just put that tab on me, and I can cover it. It's cool. That's why I had no problem doing it. But I didn't need to. It it, it was recklessly wasting money. And some people do it on that. Some people do it on cars. They buy houses that are too big. They buy other flashy things. You know, you name it: sneakers, shoes, clothing. The point is, it's okay to increase your lifestyle, right? You don't need to, you know, (laughs) once you're in a comfortable position, you don't need to keep eating ramen and and peanut butter and jelly every day. It's probably not too healthy for you, but you still have to be aware. You you can't go outside of your means, right? You kind of, you got to know where you're at, what you can afford, and you still have to have a, a frugal mindset where just because you can doesn't mean you have to. And that's how I operate my life now, where it's, it's funny, I'm I'm pretty cheap. I'll, I'll go to the supermarket or grocery store, or I'll go online and they'll be like, oh man, I really want that thing. Uh, but I couldn't get it. And my friend's are like, well, what do you mean you couldn't get it? Like, a condo? I, know, I know what you do. I've seen the YouTube videos, Akil, come on now. Um, you can get it. I'm like, yeah, but I refuse. I refuse to pay for it at that price. And that's a, another one of these lessons we'll kind of get Boomerang back to later. Number eight build and maintain a strong network. This is something that I'm not great at because I'm not the most social person out there, but it is so important, right? Don't burn any bridges. Take my advice, right? In general, like in life, be a good human being. Like don't be mean because those things can come back to bite you in the butt. When you're nice to people, when you have good interactions, they will remember you. And you never know when you're going to need someone, whether it's a friend that is, quote unquote, below you and they, you know, they surpass you and now they're hiring. You may need a job, whether it's, you know, someone that you meet at a, you know, a business social that, you know, you just went out to a golf match with or something like that, hit a few rounds and you find out, hey, they're this billionaire thing and they want to invest money for you. I'm watching this uh, series on Netflix called Quarterback and um, gosh, now I forgot his name, uh, Mariota. I forgot his first name, but he's a quarterback. At the time, he was on the Falcons, not anymore, but um, he had a friend when he was little, and his one of his best friends he played Wee football with um, was a chef, went to culinary art school, and they would always joke around like, yeah, one day I'm going to be your personal chef. And what happened is Marcus Mariota has a, a very bad eating diet. He doesn't really do nutrition. He's kind of a McDonald's type of guy, right? And during COVID, especially when he was kind of, you know, trapped in and couldn't do as much as he normally could, he noticed how this his nutrition was kind of failing him. He was getting out of his shape. He wasn't in a, a place to be a peak performer. Um, so he wanted to get a personal chef. So you know what he did? Hey, called his friend up, right? His friend from years ago. His friend flew all the way out from, I think, from Seattle to Atlanta. And now he's been his personal chef where he cooks some meals, I think, six days a week. He gets one, one cheat day. And, and that's his job. And, and that's, you know, he never burnt Eddie bridges. He was always just a good person. And at a time where this guy needed something, he called upon him. I look at all the, the, the situations in my lifestyle personally as well. And, and I always kind of debate like, man, did I get lucky? Right. I have a podcast and a, a good speech I gave at a college campus called I Got Lucky on Purpose, where I explain to the people, I, you know, I do believe in luck. Right? I do believe in luck. Luck happens. But luck is also dependent on your preparation. And if you are prepared for the moment, whether you're literally prepared for what you're doing or you're prepared by creating relationships and not burning them, when that moment comes, you'll be ready to take advantage of it. And there's been a lot of moments in my life that I never saw coming. I never planned coming. But someone that I knew before reached out and was like, hey, man, I need this. I need that. Or are you interested in partnering on this and partnering on that? Or And I'm just like, oh, yeah, sure. Right. Right. And the reason that they came to me is because at some point in time, we had a good interaction. And for some reason, I stuck out in their brain. So, you know, just be a nice human and, and always keep that in mind. And the same thing goes vice versa. You may need help, whether you're a business owner, you're looking to hire someone or maybe you just get in a bad situation. You need someone to help you out. Right. Always create and maintain those strong networks because you, they're your safety net. You never know where they're going to come in handy. Number nine assets can appreciate, or sorry, um, invest in assets, not liabilities. And understand that assets are things that appreciate in value or they can generate income, right? So like real estate, maybe depending on, right, there's a whole debate on that or whatnot, but real estate, if you do it the right way, yes, stocks, right? Investing that, those are assets. Liabilities are the things you mentioned earlier about your lifestyle choices that Cost you money. You buy a luxury car, it's not going to go up in value. It's going to go down in value as soon as you drive off the lot, right? Um, stuff like that boats, motorcycles, TVs, right? The flashy stuff. Things that once you buy it, they lose value. Those are liabilities, right? Get in the habit of making sure that you're investing more. In your assets and less in your liabilities. Again, I'm not going to be one of those people that tell you, "Hey, don't buy, don't, don't get any liabilities." Right? If you you know, I, I buy soccer match, uh, I I buy tickets to soccer matches all the time. I'm saving up for the World Cup in the U. S. Right? I, I buy lots of cameras and stuff like that, or jerseys for my kids. Those are all liabilities, but they're, they're. They're not, you know, they're, I guess, purposefully planned liabilities. Those are things that I plan on spending money on, um, but they come secondary to investing in assets, things that are gonna make me money. And And the trick is, those things that will make you money will pay for the things that will not make you money. And the things that will make you money will make you money consistently. So, like, they're making you money every month. The things that you're paying for, they're typically kind of a one off buy. Number 10 take calculated risk, right? As traders, we are risk managers. It's often said that great traders or good traders, excuse me, are great risk managers. We need to be the same way in our life, right? We need to analyze the risk and reward outcomes of any situation that we are in, whether it's crossing the street or jaywalking, right? And you're looking and saying, ah, that car is a little bit away. I think I can make it. But what's the risk if I don't splat, right? Two, it could be business opportunities where someone comes to you and says, hey, Akil, I've got this great business opportunity for you. I'm looking for investors. Here's how much it would take and blah, 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 right? You need to be calculated with your risk, right? And that goes from, from a business perspective and uh, you know, even a personal perspective in investing in other people, right? Going back on the other one about keeping your network tight. I've invested in people and I've had people invest in me before as well, but I've invested in people where I thought their thing wasn't going to work. <laughs> Sounds weird. But I wanted to build that network and let them know that, hey, I believe in you, the person. I may not believe in you, the product or your idea, but I believe in you, the person. And I'm investing not to say that this particular idea is going to work, but I'm investing to show you that I believe in you and you're going to gain something from this experience. Maybe it does work and you surprise me and I make some money because I'm an investor, or maybe it doesn't work and you learn something that's going to help you with the next opportunity, and then when you do come across that next big idea that really has some legs to it, you don't forget about me. You're saying, hey, Akhil, you know, Akil, you gave me a chance before. I'm going to pay you back. I believe in stuff like that, but that's a calculated risk. That's a, a risk and reward. So you got to be calculated with your risk. Um, that's number ten. Number 11, surround yourself with like-minded individuals. Uh, This is key, right? The whole saying, right? You are the sum of the five people you spend the most time around. I used to think that was a bunch of BS. It is 100% true because when you put yourself in a kind of a peer pressured situation, what what you tend to do is you try to to compete and mimic those who you are around. What I mean by that is this. If you are around someone that is super successful and you are the least successful person in your group, you're probably not comfortable with that role. You probably feel a little bad. You probably feel a little out of it. So every day you're working harder to become more successful so you can continue to fit in because you don't want to be looked at in a certain way. At the same time, being in that group, you're starting to see what the people that are more successful than you are doing. And that stuff rubs off on you, right? You ever notice when you, you spend time around a certain person, you start Copying their cadences where you know they have their arms folded, you have your arms folded, they talk in a certain cadence, then you start talking in a a certain cadence. I I tell people all the time, right? So, my mom is Jamaican, so all growing up, I get asked, you know, Keo, can you speak in a Jamaican accent? And I I can't, I can't speak in a Jamaican accent on purpose to save my life. But what was always funny is when you put me around my family or you put me on the phone with, with someone from the island and we start talking. People will be giving me weird looks. I'm like, what are you talking? Like, why are you looking at me like that? They're like, dude, you were just speaking a different language. I'm like, how? Right? We don't even know it. We just we kind of naturally fit in and adapt to those people around us. So if you're around people that are gonna get you in trouble, and that's a whole different story, you're probably gonna end up in trouble. If you're around people that are like-minded, have drive, desire, you're gonna be kind of like uh, you know, think of like a peloton or like drafting off someone. You're gonna be in this group, and that group is gonna push you towards that goal a little bit quicker. Number 12, know the difference between price and value. And this is an interesting one. I remember a quote from Warren Buffett that said, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And that means cheap isn't always good because it's cheap. Expensive isn't always good because it's expensive. Cheap isn't always bad because it's cheap. Expensive isn't always always bad because it's expensive, right? You have to be able to see the value in something. And this is a Perfect when it comes to investing. So my investing story is this, right? So I started off by by investing in uh, pretty much well known. They weren't necessarily expensive, but well known companies. So you know the, the first stock I ever bought was Apple. This was back in two thousand three when it was super cheap, like a million splits ago. But my my first company was Apple, and and it was a very highly priced stock at the time. It was ninety nine dollars per share, and I didn't have a lot of money, so it was very expensive to me. But based off my research and, and based off, you know, what I thought Apple would do going forward, it was at a massive value. And, and that proved to be correct as it doubled in less than a year, right? At the, So after that, I was a little bit disappointed because I didn't follow the rule that I told you earlier about compounding and understanding that a, a, a 10% return is different than a $10 return, right? Even though they can be at the same at the same time, I was upset that I made money off of Apple and a handful of other stocks as well, but it wasn't like the millions that I expected to make, right? Other people were doing the same investment and they were making millions. I was making thousands and I was like a little disappointed. So I decided, hey, I'm going to go for cheap stocks because if I buy cheap stocks, I can buy more of the cheap stocks and those cheap stocks are going to 10x, 20x, 30x my return. So I started putting money into all these little dollar stocks, $1, $2, stuff under like $5 stocks. And I got ripped to shreds. You know why? Because there was no value in the things I was investing in. They were just cheap. They weren't good. I assumed if they were cheaper, they were good or better. They weren't. They were cheap and bad, and I lost money doing it. So there is a difference between price and value. Value is how you you know is what you see in something, right? The price is what you have to pay. You can have something that is expensive that is at a very good value, um, even though it's expensive. We have to know how to separate the two. So I'll tell you what, um, we're about 20 minutes in already. I'm going to break this podcast into two episodes and, and leave it here at that. So make sure you join in for the next episode of the Trading Coach Podcast. We'll go through the other 13 things on the list. As always, before you leave, hit that like button, subscribe, and leave me a rating and a review if you haven't done so already. Also, remember, we have that three-day, maybe four-day trading workshop coming out soon. It's called The Cyber Trader. I'll put a link in the show notes for you to sign up. It's online. It's 100% free, and I look forward to seeing you there. All right, until next time, plan the trade, trade your plan. Take care. So I forgot to mention this in the beginning, but this list came from an article that I read by a good buddy of mine named Stephen Burns. If you guys haven't heard about Stephen Burns, him and his wife write a lot of cool articles and a lot of cool books that are very good to beginner traders that you're looking at getting Involved in the stock market, learning options. So, if you're brand new and you're looking for some cool books to read, check out Stephen Burns' stuff. One of them is called *New Trader, Rich Trader*, which is an awesome series. There's one and two. Again, Steve Burns, check it out. Good dude, good author, great trader.